Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Nina Marie. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Ashley? I am good. I am so excited that you are joining us. Why don't we start by having you tell us about yourself and the good work that you are doing? Well, hello to everyone who's listening. I am Nina Marie. I'm a traditional naturopathic doctor. So I started in this world. When I became pregnant for the first time prior to pregnancy, I would say I was a very standard American diet kind of person, lifestyle, all of the things. But taking a pregnancy labor and delivery class, it was a three-month commitment during pregnancy. And every week there was something to learn. And it just opened my eyes to how different a lot of things could be. Uh, Supporting your body in pregnancy could be not having to go the conventional route with things that occur during labor and delivery. So that's where I started. I work with a lot of moms and children. I was introduced into the pediatric health space because of my own child's health conditions. There were a lot of things that we saw in him that we, my husband and I were concerned with. And so it, I am very much a like serial learner and so I have to learn all the things (laughs) so I went on a binge for years to see what we could do to help him but I work with a lot of kids I work with a lot of moms a lot of digestive and hormonal health probably are very big in what I see often yeah that's so awesome what were you doing before I used to run an eye clinic so in Chicago I was trained as an ophthalmic technician and Uh worked with the optometrists and ophthalmologists there with clients and and then all the ancillary staff scheduling them etc it was a lot of fun that was probably before all of this my most favorite job ever oh really that's um, awesome I it. at one point I thought maybe I'll just go to school and become an ophthalmologist because yeah it's so fascinating it's a little more time but that's, that's what my brother does and you still you kept your appreciation for nice glasses I really do oh like yeah you. I have like 12 different pairs <laughs> that's so fun so then let's talk about naturopathy what like you know kind of what it is and how naturopathy differs from traditional western medicine that we're used to here in america you know i i personally am a big fan of kind of the mix obviously western medicine and naturopathic medicine or naturopathy i actually see an integrative doctor who has passed like the functional medicine boards. So tell us like what your what your field is and then how that kind of differs from what people get when they go to the doctor. So naturopathy is one of the oldest forms of quote unquote medicine. And it wasn't something that became non-common until the early 1900s. Similarly, when things like homeopathy, chiropractic work were villainized by the rise of pharmaceuticals. 
And I, I will preface all of what I'm saying with, I think that there's a place for pharmaceuticals. I'm not entirely against them. I just don't think it's the first place people ought to go to. Most. Yeah. So in naturopathy, there's a big concentration on what's happening in your lifestyle. What kinds of things are you doing that are not going to be conducive to health? What's happening in your diet? What are things that could be doing that are not conducive, that you're consuming that are not conducive to health? And then how do we support your body's functions? Because the symptoms that you receive from a particular illness or dis-ease is how it's put in naturopathy. They're actually positive things. It's your body's way of correcting something that's off. And so the suppression of symptoms is something that would be different in naturopathy versus conventional medicine because we don't want to suppress those symptoms. We actually want to support them in the right way so that your body can be supported in healing itself. Those symptoms are healing reactions. There's, as I mentioned, a lot of focus on what you're consuming. Now, I don't think that any one particular diet is going to be optimal for everyone. There are varying needs depending on what's occurring. I do think that some diets can be more problematic than others in most conditions or most cases, and others could be more supportive than others. But I wouldn't say hmm. every there's a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to what you should eat. Well, that's actually what I love about this field. So I'll tell you what happened to me was I have a friend who was she just kind of on her own went dairy free like i mean this was six uh probably 15 years ago and then several months later her menstrual cycles were all out of whack to the point that she had a hysterectomy scheduled mm -hmm. and she was trying to arrange like childcare and rides and everything at that time and a friend said Silly, silly question, but have you um, been eating a lot of soy? She was like, yeah, yeah, I have because I'm dairy-free and I'm so healthy and like blah, blah, blah. And this person was like, well, let me tell you my journey. And so it prompted my friend to start drinking milk again. And of course, all of her female organs are still intact. Like that fixed it for her and everything was fine. And so I, what I realized was like, Okay, this and this is kind of like what I had been saying to everybody that was like taking this vitamin or taking that vitamin. I'm like, but how do you know if your body like what if you have too much of that and yes. you're taking you're taking calcium and then all of a sudden like can you get like too much calcium in your body? Why are you not yep. like testing yes. for the levels of these things? And so I started going kind of like back and forth on like I, I I'm I'm very holistically minded, you know. And my listeners know this, but to give you a little bit of background, I, and this is not a consult for me, but since I'm talking about it, I think I broke my back when I was 15 years old in a gasoline explosion. So I PTSD and chronic pain, right? And so I was like, where can I go get tested for these things? And then what can I do that addresses like the cause as opposed to just like treating the symptoms from the top down? And so that's actually what I love about this field is that that's exactly what what happens, right? Yes, exactly. So one of the things that I'm actually starting is I've created a lab shop through Rupa Health, if you or your listeners are familiar with them. They're like an online lab dispensary. 
where people could just order their labs. There's no additional fees from me. It's just there, present. If you want to get blood chemistry work done, you pay the lab directly and you can get it done. Uh, oftentimes this happens with a lot of my clients. They try to get labs done through their medical providers, their PCPs, and the provider won't run them. And so this is a way to make most of those labs more accessible. So there's different sections in there that are referring to or I have like specific labs for those who might be struggling with eczema compiled together. Those who might be suspecting or have a diagnosis of autism, there's specific labs that I would run. Labs for prenatal, labs for the thyroid or adrenals. And so I'm putting these things together in the public so that if you want to access them, you can. You're just paying the lab directly. The lab will give you the instructions on how to get them done. Uh, so that you have that access because it's so important to have that information. I'm definitely a proponent of you want to test, you don't want to guess because any little thing that you consume is going to affect other things in your body because the body right. is systemic and those systems have interplay. So to give a quick example, I know one of the things that I see with a lot of children in picky eating has to do with specific micronutrient deficiencies. And one of those main micronutrient deficiencies is the mineral zinc. But I'm not telling everyone to go and supplement with zinc over the counter because your zinc levels are going to impact your copper levels, which will impact your calcium levels. You need cofactors like vitamin B6 or potassium to adequately utilize zinc. So you need a more comprehensive picture at what is occurring in order to best optimize your diet, your supplement regimen, lifestyle, whatever it might be. Oh, that's so cool. And that is also why Jack Barlow takes zinc. Yes. <laughs> we saw a doctor, we saw an atropathic doctor back. He, my son has probably what was an autoimmune flare, but it looked a lot like leukemia and it was scary as all get out. And so we consulted with somebody and then we did that panel because she was like, you know, let's start with zinc. And that didn't really fix his eating. You know, I mean, he was in an autoimmune flare, right? Yeah. Um, but he can, continues to take it because it continues to be low. And that helps so much with immunity and other things. So, yeah, yes. it's so cool. key as well in child or pediatric health growth and development. So it's a really important nutrient that I'm looking at with the kids that I see. But as you hinted, it's not the magic bullet to picky eating, right? I know that zinc is going to affect your taste buds. It's involved in how your taste buds are formed. It's involved in the nerves that transmit taste information to your brain. It's involved in your neurological health. This is why we see that specific pharmaceuticals that are depleting zinc lead to things like your taste being dysfunctional. Your salivary secretion decreases. You end up with dry mouth. You have potential ulcers in the mouth or your gingiv there's gingival swelling when there's zinc deficiency. Your zinc levels can support your hydrochloric acid levels, which are really key in digestion. Um, there's a specific form of zinc, zinc carnosine, that can help your epithelial tissues in your GI tract. So this is what makes sure that Nothing that isn't supposed to pass into your bloodstream doesn't, and that which is does. And so it depends on the type of zinc, I will say one, because there's a lot of studies that show, oh, zinc didn't change anything for taste or picky eating. And it's usually the usage of a type of zinc that isn't the most absorbable, like zinc sulfate. 
However, it's not the end all be all. Some people supplement with the right types of zinc and it's not enough to change what's happening with the taste. So it can be a factor, but it isn't the only factor, I will say, when it comes to taste dysfunction. Oh, super interesting. That I mean, that is like, I love to listen to people geek out about stuff. (laughs) That that was so cool. Okay, so you said before, I think I interrupted us. You said before that you think that certain diets are more conducive. Obviously, they they have to be individualized, but certain diets are more conducive to a less inflammatory reaction or to like, let's just say promotion of health. Mm -hmm. Uh, So talk, expand on that. So I, uh, research information shows us that an omnivorous diet is important. So I I well, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to think. Would I ever advocate for a vegan or vegetarian diet? I think there might be an exception if there's like extreme detoxification that's needed. Uh, a vegan or vegetarian diet can be conducive to detoxification when there's a lot of toxins present and we need to unload the body. Consuming um, animal-based products can support that. But I would say that it's not the worst thing to consume vegetarian or vegan diet. I do believe that there's a a point in time where that is end. It's more of a therapeutic thing as opposed to a long-term lifetime thing. So I have a question about that. A lot of people do veganism when they're diagnosed with cancer or, you know, like a really debilitating thing like MS or something. And so my question is, aren't legumes typically pretty inflammatory and if legumes are pretty inflammatory how is that helpful to those people that's a great question so i will say i love dr jason fong's book the cancer code on this he gets into a lot of the research prior to a cancer diagnosis and what can deter you from a cancer diagnosis so what decreases the risk what increases it and then what happens after when it comes to diet so Prior to answering your question, I would say, according to his research, before a cancer diagnosis, diet can play a really big role in uh, addressing cancer. After a cancer diagnosis, the research is kind of split on whether you should do a carnivore, omnivorous versus a vegetarian, vegan diet. So there isn't much of an effect, at least that we have in research now, that after a diagnosis, what kind of diet you choose may or may not matter. So we're unsure on that now. Okay. Um, I'm still legumes. It can be highly inflammatory. And this is where it's important to understand how to properly prepare foods. Legumes are one of the things that should be soaked and sprouted prior to consumption. So my mom and my grandma used to soak beans overnight in a big bowl of water because they weren't getting them in a can or whatever it might be. The reason that that was done ancestrally was because you are eliminating specific nutrients that the food is holding that are problematic to the human GI tract. So by eliminating things like phytates or oxalic acid or lignans, et cetera, we are then taking out things that can be problematic for digestion and lead to inflammation. So when we properly prepare our legumes, so soaking them overnight, we are getting rid of those things that make it hard for us to digest. And what the reason that it's hard is because those particular anti-nutrients are bound to the nutrients in that legume that we would actually uh, benefit from. So when we soak and sprout them, 
we're eliminating that binding from the nutrients that we can be benefit from and eliminating that anti-nutrient as well so that we can actually take in the things that would benefit us from that legume. So the people in the blue zones are soaking their beans. Yes. Mm, I wondered about those blue zone people. <laughs> I sure do love a soaked bean. They're, they taste way better. I will oh. say my grandmother's beans, will ne I will never compare with how oh. amazing her food tastes. I went to Costa Rica on a surfing trip with my girlfriends from college. Don't be too impressed. We were in the shallow end. And we had beans and rice, of course, every day in Costa Rica. And we were in, in the blue zone. We were literally in Nosara. Mm. And it was so incredible. And I came home and I searched for those in Spanish and I searched in English. And I tried and I tried. My, my family was so tired of beans. And I never could match them. I mean, I need like somewhere, somewhere like my great, 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 great. The ones that aren't German, my grandparents have to be from Costa Rica because huh, I love them. Good. I, I have a conversation with my kids often about foods that they love and don't love. When I was a kid, I hated beans. I, yes. I, used, to, I used to try to trick my mom. I would put a huge spoonful of beans in my mouth and pretending to just use the bathroom so that I could flush them down the toilet. Me too. Anything that I could do to not eat them. And now I'm like, they're so delicious. Yeah. And so my kid, they're like, I don't like them. I was like, you might like them one day. I didn't like them either. You can't yeah. eat them. Like, I love them. I think they're a great food to consume when prepared well. Agree. I used to do that with pretzel sprouts. Only I have like 0% chill. So I would put them in like a squirrel in my cheeks. And I'd be like, I got the bathroom. And then they'd <laughs> laugh. And then I would go spit them out. But all they did was boil them. But like if she would have roasted my yeah. my mother, would have roasted her. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Why don't she like boiled? He like boiled cabbage. That's disgusting. Okay. So I really i I love that answer. What about if we kind of focus this on child development? Because I heard you mention <clears throat> autism, and so my listenership, you know, kind of varies widely, but. Everybody has a child that's on a that's on either an IEP or a 504 for the most part. We've got a lot of teachers that follow mm -hmm. as well. So we're talking about children that are still developing, right? School-age children. What about nutritional benefits or things that are important for them in order to address nutritional challenges, behavioral challenges, other developmental things. So I think one of the greatest disservices to children is the food system that is employed, whether you're in public or private school. And the reason yeah. for that is not only is it nutritionally void of things that are important for all humans, but specifically children, it's, it's not going to be something that supports proper behavior. I see a lot of kids whose parents will say they are always acting up in school. They're getting in trouble often. And most of the times, the main problem is blood sugar dysregulation. If a child has adequate blood sugar dysregulation, they have the capacity. Well, before I continue, I will say this. I also think that the modern school system is not made for a child and their growth and development. Asking them to sit down all day long is impossible i homeschool yes. my kid and and yeah anyway so yeah. no 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 i mean yes. 
truly, yes. But this idea of blood sugar, I have been saying and reading yes. about for years, myself included. Yes. If you have high blood sugars and lows, it's going to affect how you behave. It's going to make you more angry. You'll have more outbursts. You can't sit still if you have high glucose. If it's low, your body's in a state of shock and stress that you need to get something soon. And so you have more of these behavioral issues. So I think one of the biggest things with kids is focusing on fat and protein as a main source of macronutrients and or ensuring that when they consume a carbohydrate, it's paired with a fat or protein. So a popular saying is you don't want naked carbs. The reason for that is because your carbs should be dressed with a protein or with a fat in order to properly assimilate that glucose without causing a spike in your bloodstream. If we have a huge spike, then the body is going to respond as if it's an emergency to bring it down. And most of the time, it overreacts. And now we have these low blood sugars. And then we have to get something else that goes super high. And we never have the adequate, appropriate, I should say, ratio or or levels of blood sugar that are necessary for health. So focusing on fat, focusing on protein first and or alongside carbs would be so much more beneficial for children when it comes to behavioral needs. It also, because fat is important, it's a huge uh, macronutrient that builds up your brain, will help with neurological growth and development. We need adequate protein and fat to be broken down to build up neurotransmitters in the brain. Uh, A lot of those neurotransmitters are going to be in the gut. So supporting your uh, digestion of those foods are also key to be able to have the raw materials to build up neurotransmitters, immune cells, muscle tissues, whatever it might be. So focusing on adequate digestion and fat and protein before and or with carbs would be would be free things that you could do without having to purchase supplements or anything because you're already feeding your child. We're now adjusting what we feed our child based on their developmental needs. And so if we just shift our focus a bit, you're not spending anything extra. You may actually spend less money because their hunger is satiated longer when you focus on fat and protein, as opposed to always coming back in an hour or less for more food. You can avoid snacking this way. So bringing those things in can benefit them long-term as well. Like you're also setting up their body for health for adulthood with proper blood sugar regulation, which when it's dysregulated will be something that can predispose you to other sorts of chronic health problems. Yeah. I mean, so, so our parents did something right when they gave us Sester crackers with peanut butter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or a Triscuits and cheese, cheese food. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a friend who was, adamant of never giving her children vegetables with like butter or something she's like no you can eat it plain and i i remember learning like you need butter to absorb the fat soluble vitamins in those vegetables yeah bring fat with your food is going to benefit everyone right so i read the whole 30 book for the first time like 10 years ago probably it was fairly new and what that book recommended was that your your protein is the size at a meal is the size mm-hmm. of your palm, which you've heard a thousand times, or, or everybody has, and that the fat should be the size of your thumb. And I was like, oh, that's that is a lot more fat 
than what I am used to having. Like that is a lot more avocado than I put on my tacos and a lot more oil than what I put on everything combined. Um, And that really opened a lot of like my thinking myself, you know. So, yeah, it was that like it's it's interesting how much fat we need. And, you know, I have to say, I think it's interesting because I'm probably older than you are. I was born in 78. But I like when I was in high school and college, everything was fat free. So mm-hmm. I can't tell you, like, I still probably have Olestra pulsing through my veins. And, you know, we had those Snackwell's cookies that somehow didn't have any fat. And we ate so much fake sugar. But everything was low fat. Like, that was the fad then. But nobody was, here's why I know that this is right, what we're doing now. Back then, nobody was talking about the nutrition. We were all just talking about being skinny. Mm-hmm. Like, I, all I, we wanted to be was skinny. And I would say, if we are able to ensure that children have adequate fat, we're going to support them for a almost seamless transition into puberty. Um, yeah. I think about so many girls who, one, maybe have early onset puberty, or two, they struggle with so much pain with their menstrual cycles and whatnot. If we supply the body with the adequate raw material, so you need enough cholesterol, you need enough fat to create your sex hormones, um, then you can have what's necessary for a normal menstrual cycle. Right. You can have the things that help your body to detoxify those hormones once they're already used. So starting now with a small child before puberty, ensuring they have the right foods, ensuring they have enough protein, enough fat, can set them up for a seamless puberty. And then as as they continue that during their pubescent years, when they come out of that, especially women, because you're switching from in the pre-puberty, your ovaries are making your sex hormones, excuse me, your adrenals are making your sex hormones in puberty, your ovaries. And then at menopause, it goes back to the adrenals. And the adrenal glands are a gland or organ that is used for blood sugar regulation in times of emergency. And so if we have a lot of this blood sugar dysfunction occurring, the adrenals are used more than they should be. So by the time menopause comes, they don't function appropriately because they were supposed to be more in a rest time as opposed to working, and they've just been working a whole lot. So in supporting young girls pre and during puberty, we can set them up for menopause that is also seamless. There shouldn't be hot flashes. Right. There shouldn't be any symptoms. You should be able to just switch seamless and be fine. And most of the time, it's because of poor blood sugar regulation. I'm sunk. <laughs> I don't have any adrenal hormones. They're gone. But <laughs> my cortisol at the time, it like it, 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 10 in the morning, my cortisol isn't where most people's is like to go to sleep. It's a sad, sad situation. (laughs) I'm going to be hot all the time. This is bad. (laughs) Somebody, please, somebody help me. Okay. So speaking of caregivers, like this is the the best episode in the universe because I have used so much self-control. I want to ask a thousand more questions. I cannot wait to dive deeper into what you have out there and to continue the conversation and I'm like, I'm loving this, but I want to keep it palatable to the people. Yes. So before we sign off, let's talk about caregivers. You know, if you are caring for someone that has a disability or any other um, specific need, 
or if you are just managing the the chaos of motherhood, parenthood, plus work and try and exercise and care for aging parents and all of that stuff. It's exhausting. So what are some common issues that you see for parents and caregivers? And are there any like simple changes that these people can make? And and, and bonus points if you can include Chick-fil-A Coca-Cola. I don't know that I can include Chick-fil-A Coca-Cola, but I do know that it's not going to be the end of the world if you are consuming Chick-fil-A Coca-Cola. Amen. Uh, I would say because there is such a huge emphasis on food, not being afraid of food shortcuts can be beneficial. So purchasing things that are already pre-chopped or frozen vegetables, things like that. Some pre-made foods from companies like Primal Kitchen, they have frozen foods that you can just heat up quickly. Or Kevin's Paleo is another great brand that I would that I use at home. Like those are quick 10 to 15 minutes at most in the kitchen that you're preparing a meal for your family. So utilizing those types of shortcuts and not thinking that everything needs to come from scratch is a huge weight. In my home, it's a huge weight off of my shoulders. So I would say not being afraid of those types of things and embracing them because they can make your life a little bit simpler and you need as much simple as possible when you are a caregiver of a child or someone with a disability or illness. Um, Knowing your limits and knowing how your body feels when it's in a place of stress, frustration, or anger. I get a pit in my stomach. And so I know when I feel this pit in my stomach, I need a break. I recently, so I use the Aura Ring and they have this new feature for like managing your stress. And last week I had two instances where the stress management dipped dramatically in one day. And the only change at those two instances was I was in my car by myself driving and I did not have children or family members around me. And it jumped right back up when I was in the home with other people. So when I noticed that pattern, I was like, okay, my body does really well when it has a break to just have some alone time. So that means driving. Get rid of these people. And I, I told my husband, I was like, I think it's telling me that I need to just leave. (laughs) <laughs> we were joking back and forth, of course. So like a car ride to the post office by yourself can be one of the most beneficial things you do for yourself. Grocery shopping alone. And then not being afraid to in, like bring other people in to support you in that. I've worked with, I have a lot of friends here in our community. And I know that I can lean on them, that if I need something, I can call you. I can have 30 minutes to myself because you're willing to step in knowing that I need a break. And so establishing and pouring into those kinds of relationships with families and friends can be really beneficial. And not being afraid to say, I need you to step in for a moment. Someone who loves your child, probably not as much as you do, but loves your child, um, that can come in, step in. If there's a partner, a spouse, letting them know when you need a moment alone, all of that is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong. Um, And I would also say prioritizing sleep as much as possible. Sleep is one of the most restorative things that you can do for your body. Your digestion is at its highest. Your detoxification is at its highest. Your body is rebuilding its tissues at its highest. Your detoxification of toxins in the brain is at its highest when you're sleeping. And so ensuring that you have adequate sleep 
can be so beneficial. Now, I work with a lot of postpartum moms and that just doesn't come for a while. And so some of the things that I have or a way that I've helped support moms is why don't you guys create a schedule where this day you're on if someone gets up and that next day the other person is on if that person gets up or if they need if no someone needs support that way at least you guys are alternating how bad your sleep can be and how good your sleep can be and so coming up with things like that can give you some uh reprieve to be able to support yourself as best as possible because you will be incapable of supporting your child or someone well if your body is failing too and so yeah. if you long haul very small foundational things Eating well and taking the shortcuts as needed. If that means Chick-fil-A at the drive-thru, it's not the end of the world. But using things like Kevin's Paleo or the other brands I mentioned here will be beneficial. And then prioritizing sleep. It's going to benefit everyone. Everyone is better after they have a good nap. So when we had, I love, I love those things. Yes, 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 and yes. When we had infants, we alternated. I'm a big fan of systems. Yes. So we alternated. And I would always, well, and then what would happen is, what if the kid didn't wake up? Do you repeat your night or do you stay, are you just lucky? It's like the lottery. And so like, do you have specific days of the week? And so then we would get in these debates. And of course, the person that was going to benefit that day felt differently that day. But I would obnoxiously go to sleep and be like, "Ah, I love going to sleep on your night. It is the best. So glad you're getting up today. Oh my gosh. Then we still kind of alternate. We weekend mornings because our jack is an early riser and and we're like you know who's gonna who gets the extra glass of wine tonight or whatever because you know i never went that because of blood sugar but that's a different story okay this has been awesome i mean super duper helpful i am certain if i want to keep talking i am certain that other people want to keep talking and want to know more tell everybody where they can find you and learn more about your business Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Nina Marie and Dr. spelled out the whole word. My website is drninamarie.com. And and if you ever have a question, I'm really responsive in DMs. So don't hesitate to reach out to me. If I think I can point you in the right direction or share a resource or something, I will. If I think someone else would be a better fit, I'm happy to send you somewhere else as well. So I love being able to chat with families and parents to see what they need and then share what I know that can bring them the results they're looking for. So please feel free to reach out. That's awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ashley.